Time now for AliCast, a deep dive into innovative and emerging trends in e-commerce, online payments, and digital entertainment. Brought to you by Alibaba Group, we'll offer insights about Chinese consumers and brands doing business in China. We'll delve into global online retail, cloud computing, big data, and other must-know topics and issues in and around one of China's largest companies. I'm Adam Najberg. The China market offers great promise and has great appeal for international brands. But how do the brands do it? They can, of course, go it alone. But one road that's paved with much success is entering China through Alibaba's Tmall. Over 14,000 international brands from 63 countries and regions sell on Tmall Global. For over 80% of them, their virtual store was the first foray for them into China. Tmall's demographic is bang on for many international brands. Over 70% of its customers are 24 to 32 years old, middle class, from top or second tier Chinese cities, and make over 100,000 Chinese yuan a year. But how do you know if your brand is right for Tmall? And once you're convinced it is, how do you get on there? With us today on Alleycast is a man with that plan, Frank Lavin, former U.S. Under Secretary of Commerce, former U.S. Ambassador to Singapore. He's the founder and current head of Export Now, a company referred to as a Tmall partner, one that helps U.S. brands. Crack the China market, Frank. It's a real pleasure to have you on today. Thanks, Nash. Good to be here. Let me ask you first to talk about what a Tmall partner is. We we hear that term. We throw it out there. What does it mean? This means we at Export Now we offer a range of services that will allow an international brand to succeed, to win, to sell, to compete effectively on Tmall, Tmall Global.、Uh, many international brands don't have a China team, don't have a China strategy group,、uh, have trouble with China execution, or need help. So we offer that entire family of services that will allow theoretically any brand, any place in the world, to have a successful Tmall store. So just to be clear, if I'm a, a medium-sized U.S. brand. And I am ready to go international. China looks really attractive to me, but I've got no boots on the ground there. Does that stop me? Does that preclude me? Or is, is no? That- this is this is the good news, Nas. That's exactly right.、Uh, the services、uh, we would offer at Export Now, for example, would include everything from all the strategy and planning. What what which products, for example, are likely to do the best on Tmall? What price points or other kind of considerations with brand positioning? The the competitive map. So a lot of early strategy work and analytical work, competitive map work. Then inbound logistics, customs clearance, regulatory. Testing and approval, labeling. I mean, if it's a food item, cosmetic item, apparel item, there's special testing and labeling requirements. Then all of the store operations, fulfillment, customer contact work, all of the uh, inquiries, uh, del- managing delivery, receipt of funds, financial settlement. And we will then do the foreign exchange and remit back to the U.S. the U.S. dollars and give you IT integration so you can sit at your desk in the U.S. and you can effectively run your China e-commerce store the same way you run your U.S. e-commerce store. So it's soup to nuts basically, and you can just plug it's soup、them. to nuts.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the point is you've got to offer that A to Z、uh, because as you, as you observe, you've got this extraordinary group of very powerful U.S. brands, but they just don't have a China team in place. And given their priorities and their growth, they're not about to put twenty. People on the ground in Shanghai. So we said that's fine. We've got a team on the ground in Shanghai. We'll do the work for you. How big is your team now? We've got about a hundred in Shanghai, and then about ten in the U.S. We'll handle clients and companies outside of the U.S. or outside of China, but most of our business tends to be U.S. to China. Let me ask you this: How does Export Now operate when you do sign on a brand? Is there an off-the-shelf product、uh, for service? 
or do you customize? How do you kind of make it fit for each brand? Yeah, it's got to be very much the the latter, Naj, because every company's got a different uh, need set. So we'll give them the menu of what we can do for them. But some companies, for example, say we are, they already have a, a global ad agency that helps them out in other markets, and that agency is likely to have a Shanghai operation. So they might just give the communications and social media side of this to that ad agency. Well, we'll do everything else. Another company might have a global logistics provider. They don't need help in that regard. So we'll do everything but logistics. So we really have to start with a conversation with the client about what in-house skills do they have or do they have a preferred service provider? And then we can fill in the gaps. More fundamentally, if we can walk back just a bit, how do you know if a brand is ready for Tmall or not? If a brand comes to you and says, hey, we want to enter China, do you have a checklist or do you do a kind of audit of their operations or just an interview with them? And, and then at that point, how do you advise them? Yeah. And that's the most important part of the conversation, Naj. We don't want to waste their time. We don't want to waste our time. We want every relationship to be a positive relationship. So we really only want to take on board a client who has a reasonable chance of success. There's no guarantees in life. But what we look for in our company, what we say is, can this company reach $1 million in sales by the end of year one, at least on a run rate basis? If it can reach a million dollars, we say that was worth it. That that hit a threshold where the company's going to be happy. We can command some kind of compensation and, and it's a win-win. But so the the question is that how, how do we know or model that? Well, there are a few indicators that can suggest to us that a company can hit that number. One, the first two things we look at is does the company currently have any sales at all in China? Offline sales, some companies do that. They're just not online yet, but that's a very positive indicator that there's consumer traction. Similarly, we'll look at gray market and competitive map to say, are are these products already available on the gray market through informal channels or, or is on a competitive map, are people in the exact same space, how well are they doing? So those indicators at a first cut, tell us uh, whether or not this company has prospects in the market. Beyond that, we'll try to look at the home market activity. What we've seen is typically the Chinese consumer will respect a product that is a segment leader. So we'd like to work with a brand that is number one, two, or three in its segment in its home market. If Meaning if you're number seven in your home market, how successful do you think you can be in a new market? It's going to be a bit of a challenge to push uphill. So, so being a segment leader becomes important. And I'll tell you another indicator of success in China is social media media traction in the home market, meaning if consumers like discussing this product, like talking about it, sharing it, having a conversation with the brand, there's some kind of emotional connectivity with that brand. And that suggests to us that this brand can also work in China. Can you talk more about that? Because I mean, really what you're getting at is if there's a buzz about something in your home market on social media, it means you probably have a, a product that, that resonates or that your, your messaging is good. But now you have to bring it over to Chinese consumers. How do you localize that product for Chinese consumers? Could you give an example or two? Sure. Well, one of our sayings internally is if there's magic in your brand, we can make that magic work in China. But conversely, I mean, another way of saying that is, look, if there's no magic in your brand, if it's sort of a commodity product, then how can you expect the Chinese consumer to fall in love with your brand? How will you court the Chinese consumer? I mean, even if there is magic, you have to go through a courtship. You have to find some way of engaging in a conversation. I think the Chinese market it is a, an extraordinarily rewarding market. It is the largest consumer market in the world. But by the same token, it can be a very competitive market and Chinese consumers are very demanding. They want to be courted. You have to explain to them as the brand owner, the brand manager, what that value proposition is. 
Some brands are extremely good at this. Typically, apparel brands are good at this. Cosmetic brands are good at this. Other market segments, it's not as central a part of their DNA. So we have to sort of work together to come up with the right explanation. But boy, when when you connect with the Chinese consumer, the same way you have to do so in the your home market, be it America or someplace else, you know, there is magic in that brand and the, and the consumer does respond. Who's done this well, in your opinion? Um, what partners have you uh, worked yeah, with? Yeah, I'll tell you this. It wasn't, this wasn't our uh, partnership that we didn't. We we didn't launch these guys, but I'll tell you two brands that I'm really excited about in China and I just see all the time and I have a lot of respect for is Nike, which is uh, all over e-commerce, but also does a fabulous job offline and Starbucks, uh, which, you know, is, has online and offline presence as, as well also. But these these are brands that really had to explain themselves to the Chinese consumer. I mean, think coffee isn't part of the Chinese diet. They really had to walk the Chinese consumer through the Starbucks journey and court the consumer. I think they've just done a marvelous job. I take take my hat off to both of them. So when you set up a Tmall storefront, I gather from what you're saying, you're not done. But let, let's start with the Tmall store, storefront and just ask, what is it that you need to put on that page? Obviously, SKUs, you know, people want to buy things, but there's so much noise. There are so many brands, over 14,500 on there. How do you cut through the noise and make your brand stand out on a Tmall storefront? Yeah, there has to be something distinctive about your brand, about your products. The undifferentiated products, Nodge, are really only competing on price. Now, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with competing on price, but think of it this way. The international brands are typically going to be a little more premium priced and have a little difficulty, bit of difficulty competing on price. So if you're competing on price, you're really ceding that territory to the low cost producer, and that's almost inevitably a Chinese producer. So for an international brand to be successful, you have to be able to explain to the Chinese consumer what that value is in paying a bit of a premium or maybe more than a bit and what kind of joy or practical benefit that consumer is going to feel from using that product. Uh, now, the, there's answers there for the most part. There's there's typically a good answer, but but it is for some brands, it's a bit of a journey to think through how do we explain it? How do we capture it in just a few sentences? How do we begin that communication? Uh, I'll say this, ch- there's there's a huge advantage brands can have in the Chinese market, which it is, it might be the most digitally oriented consumer population in the world. So any good brand needs a digital strategy with social media, with videos, with key opinion leaders. They need to find some way to get that brand message to the consumer to allow that consumer to warm to the brand. And is the the Tmall storefront the hub for this? Because it sounds like you're doing a lot of things along the spokes, content, copywriting, social media, videos. Yeah, I think the the storefront absolutely is the hub. And and, uh, I mentioned a minute ago, you need to really think through that presentation. What products are you selling? What are your price points? What's supposed to happen in that market? And the mistake... uh, brands make is they simply view this as a translation exercise. I've got a good U.S. web page going. It's selling the right amount. All I'm going to do is translate it into Chinese. And now I've got a good Chinese web page. Don't forget, your your brand might mean something a little bit different in the China market. Your products might mean something a little different. You might have to adjust colors or sizes, or there might be other cultural distinctions why the Chinese consumer favors something over something else. So that requires a little bit of a market analysis, a little bit of research. It doesn't have to be extensive, but I would definitely spend a month or two looking at the current market where it stands, try to understand how the Chinese consumer differs from the consumer in your home market, how the competitive map differs from your home market. Is that something that Export Now does or that the brand does, or is it kind of case oh, oh, by no, case? Absolutely. absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll do a scope of work for the client. Here, here, Let's talk about who your major international competitors 
are. Let's talk about who your major domestic competitors are. Let's look at what they're doing domestically. Let's look at what they're doing on social media. Let's look at their key themes and passage points, and let's have a discussion about what what holes in the market uh, exist for us to be successful. And are we saying precisely the same message in China that we say in our home market? Are we adapting it a little bit? How do we make sure this brand works and wins in China? I know it's hard to generalize, Frank, but what is it that Chinese consumers are looking for? I keep hearing how they're very, very focused on details since it's e-commerce on Tmall. They want lots of pictures from lots of angles, very detailed descriptions, tech specs. But when they're actually going to buy the product, are they price sensitive? Are they looking for specials or bundles? Or do they want super duper content that just makes them fall in love with the product? What is it that motivates them to buy? I think in a lot of ways, they're similar to consumers around the world. In fact, one of our discussion points is convergence theory, that if you hold even for education level and income level, consumer taste around the world tends to converge, which is one reason why these great global brands like Mercedes or Ikea tend to do well in 80 markets around the world. But but to your point, Nodge, there are certainly differences as well. The Chinese webpage, for example, the Chinese e-commerce store will tend to be a busier webpage will tend to have a lot more detail, a lot more promotional material in it, whereas the Western webpages tend to be a little bit cleaner. Uh, you're also correct on the uh, point about photographs, that they'll they'll re- want to see multiple photographs from multiple angles. So a typical uh, e-commerce store in China will feature, for example, photographs of the zippers on the product, whereas you will never see that in a Western e-commerce store. So the, 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 the consumer in China is just a little hungrier for the uh, those details. Another distinction we see in China is that brand value matters a lot. That Chinese consumers, if you look at uh, uh, digital communication with Chinese consumers buy something, they will mention that brand more. They're much more likely to say, I bought a Louis Vuitton bag rather than say, I bought a new handbag. Right? Th- that brand significance comes front and center uh, in the Chinese consumer's mind more so than in the American consumer's mind. In terms of brand positioning, I was talking to Jeff Towson recently, and he was talking about how one of the things you have to pay a lot of attention to is, you know, there are more Chinese mothers than there are people in the United States total population. So he said, you know, you have to look at the demographics of who's shopping online. I I gave some numbers at the top of this podcast, 24 to 32. There are a lot of women on there. When you're advising customers, how do you tell them, yes, consumers want kind of the same things, but here's the consumer base that you need to be paying attention to? Well, there are a few, I think, rules of thumb. As you point out, it skews female, it skews younger, it skews urban, it skews more affluent. So you're you're speaking to a subset of the total population. Uh, however, that's the subset of the total population that has real purchasing power. And again, if you're working with, a, say, an American brand that does tend to be more in the premium space, so we'd say, look, you, you ought to be quite comfortable with this group because this is where you're going to have the greatest reach and the greatest connectivity. Um, well, what the, the core lesson from from this point, Nodge, is that as these, say, a mass market brand or a mass premium brand go, in the United States goes to China because of that shift in purchasing power, that shift in brand awareness, all of a sudden the brand positioning tends to go up the value chain. It's no longer mass premium, but it's pure premium or it's ultra premium, right? Uh, because there's just less purchasing power on a per capita basis in China. The overall market is bigger, but at an individual level, it's a little bit smaller. So that's something that brands need to come to terms with. There's a good example, Dodge, with McDonald's. The McDonald's is a mass market restaurant in the United States that really focuses on convenience, price, value, and so forth. But in China, it's a, it's a, me, a meal at a restaurant. It's a nice 
meal out. And for a lot of families, that's a, that's a, you know, uh, a, a reasonable accomplishment to go to McDonald's. So no surprise that they'll have a McDonald's meal is where you go if you get promoted at work or McDonald's meal is where you go to celebrate somebody's graduation from high school, that it's, it, it, it occupies a little special place for the Chinese consumer that it does for the American consumer. That's, that's pretty interesting. Um, Frank, full disclosure, I've, I've spoken with some of your clients, and, and the feedback I'm getting about export now is interesting. They said that you guys are really savvy about uh, figuring out how to tailor promotions, that you work really well with Tmall, and you get their stuff out there, uh, and you give them good advice about when and how to position themselves. What are some examples of ways that, that you're getting your customers' products out there using promotions. Th- thanks, Josh, for the uh, compliments. I should have mentioned this point earlier, previous question, but oh my gosh, is China a promotion-driven market? I mean, th- this is, you talked before about difference between China and the U.S. Uh, the Chinese consumer is, just seems to be a little hungrier for the deal, and they might withhold daily purchases back a bit, but then that promotion comes, they really let loose. The biggest shopping day in the world, the biggest e-commerce shopping day in the world is uh, November 11th, Singles Day in China. And it blows away the these U.S. sales of Cyber Monday or Black Friday. It, it blows away every other shopping day in the world. And it just shows you how Chinese consumers sort of orient their purchasing around these promotions. Then it becomes sort of a destination in itself, meaning there's a Alibaba runs this massive uh, national television special. It's just, it's a, it's like a home variety show with song and dance and vaudeville acts and sort of, so to speak, uh, at, at these galas, but it will, it, and, and the shoppers are all keyed into it. Then the brands are all keyed into it. So it becomes a self-fulfilling sort of prophecy. Uh, and we run a lot of promotion of that. I, I, I'll tell you something. I wouldn't be surprised if I, I mean, singles day is around November 11th, but let's say that shopping window is 72 hours, a little bit like Christmas sales might last more than a day. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised in that 72-hour window around Singles Day that a company sells 30% of its annual sales in a three-day period. I mean, it's just a very, very powerful moment for a brand. But but this this is a real important point, Nodge, because it's a backup. It means you have to get your inventory in place. It means you have to get your CRM team in place. It means you have to get your fulfillment team in place. And, and you've got a really line everything up because your sales might spike 10x for a three-day period and then they drop down to a normal period again it's like welcome to the big leagues right yeah it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun it's very exciting it's a wonderful day we've got clients call every 20 minutes say how's it going but and look that's the biggest one of the year but then there's also other con- there's national level promotions where around national day meaning for americans july 4th there's promotion there's mother's day's promotion there's valentine's day promotion so there's a normal sort of calendar cycle back to school activities and so forth uh, that brands can key into so the smart brands organize their cycle around the sort of natural tendencies of the chinese consumer something that your clients mentioned to me was uh, there's a fair bit of data that's provided by tmall they're very non-specific about the data and what it tells them and i figured i would ask you what what are you getting? What's being fed back to you and to the clients from Tmall that helps them kind of adjust their digital strategy or adjust their their product placements and things like that? 
Well, sure. Well, we do a lot of marketing through the Alibaba system. And of course, one of the, the key bits of data that come through that is sort of an ROI, your, your click-through rates and so forth. If you market on uh, Taobao, if you use other kind of marketing channels, you're linked to video on Yoku. So there's an entire Alibaba ecosystem where you can allocate some spend. Uh, and, and you want to monitor that because everybody's looking for the bang for the buck out of that. So you, you, you've got to have a message. You've got to have some resource commitment to get that message out there. But then you want to, you're always fine tuning. You're always trying to improve it to see where is the consumer and are you really touching the consumer in the right way? And that data is absolutely what you need in order to continually upgrade and improve how you're using your ad spend and your communications. And, and Frank, last question is not to be crass here, but, uh, you're providing some serious value add services here. Can you give me just a general ballpark range for if you want to be a brand and get onto Tmall using Tmall Partner Export Now, uh, what can you expect to pay approximately? Sure, sure. Well, think of uh, think of three uh, buckets of cost, if you will. One is setup. The other is marketing communication. We're just talking about. And the third is then the the fee to the TP, the fee to Export Now in this case. So the setup is going to you depend on several factors. Is your trademark registered? How many different SKUs or products do you have? Uh, and, and there's going to be a Tmall registration and a Tmall deposit that come into this as well. But we'd say all of the setup, graphics, training your CRM team, warehouse setup, packaging setup, et cetera, et cetera, for most U.S. brands will run between fifty and 100,000 U.S. That, that, that will set up your whole store. So that's the first bucket. The second uh, bucket is advertising and marketing. We'd say be prepared to commit resources. Y- you you can't go into market this big, this competitive, without uh, some kind of communications plan. You need to be able to put resources behind it. Um, if you're trying to hit a million dollars a year, we'd say be prepared to at least spend ten thousand dollars a month or one hundred twenty thousand, meaning twelve percent of your gross goes into advertising. That's that's probably higher than some brands spend in their home market, but our point would be, look, you're already mature in your home market. This is a brand new market. There's no familiarity. You have to start that conversation. 10000 a month is actually sort of low, but you, you have to put something in the communications. The third bucket then is our fee, what we charge, and it, and it depends on the basket of services. There's sort of two families of activities here, Nodge. One is if we are acting as purely as an agent, we're we're not buying and selling inventory, but we're simply selling on your behalf and re- re- remitting the profits to you. In that case, the typical fee structure is something like 10 to 12%, right? It'll be higher on the first million or two to recover our costs. It'll be, you know, 15 to 20, then it drops down to 10 or 12%. So that's the, that's the fee structure if we're the agent. If we're the wholesaler distributor, then what we'll do is we'll buy the product from you and we'll resell it in which case the margin is closer to 50%, meaning if we're selling a tennis racket for $100, we've already purchased that from the manufacturer for $50 and we're reselling it. But in that case, we have to absorb all of the Tmall fees, we have to absorb all of the Chinese taxes, we absorb all of the marketing dollars ourselves. So we're, we're doing that all in-house for the brand. Fair enough. Frank Lavin, founder of Export Now, thank you for sharing the wisdom and thank you for being on AliCast. Thank you, Notch. Let's do it again. You've been listening to AliCast, a regular podcast from the Alibaba Group. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Adam Najberg.